If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri. If you would please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But God, who is, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. As you may remember, the Heidelberg Catechism is uh, working through three large questions. After beginning with what is our only comfort in life and in death, uh, the, three may, the three big categories are we need to know our sin and misery, uh, we need to know how we may be delivered from our sin and misery, and we are, need to know how we may express our gratitude to God for such deliverance. So we're in the, the middle section, getting closer to the end of that. After working our way through the Apostles' Creed and the, the, the redemption that the, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has provided for us, We've been working on how is it that that becomes a part of our life. Last week, we looked at, in particular, justification by faith alone. In these questions that we're looking at today, it continues that topic, uh, justification by faith. Uh, But along with that, adding the thought, well, what about our works? Do our works play into any of it? And how do we relate to that? So the place of faith and works and considering and thinking through some of those things. But the first thing that we encounter as we get to question number 61 is the clarification and reaffirmation that we are justified by faith alone. And that word alone is what's being underscored in that. Our justification is not by anything which we have done. It's not by anything that we contribute to the matter. Our justification is purely by faith alone. And and that as the answer goes on, what it is wrestling through is, well, uh, 
what's the basis of our acceptance or our righteousness before God? And then secondly, how does that righteousness again come to be a part of our life? So the first part of the answer is the basis of my righteousness, and it answers it in two ways. One, negatively, it has nothing to do with any of the worthiness in me. Our faith is not, does, not, does not have any merit to it at all. Faith actually is a gift of God. And so we cannot say that our faith merits that righteousness of Christ. It, does, it, it merits no such thing. Uh, if we see ourselves as the previous question and described as given over to all sin and always inclined to sin, we know that there is nothing in us that could uh, achieve for us any merit or worth before God. Faith is not meritorious. Faith is rather looking away from ourselves. So there's nothing in us looking away from ourselves and focusing solely and completely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. Uh, So that's the only possible source from which you can be right. So it's not on account of any worthiness in you, even in your faith. Uh, Galatians 3 says, The scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Or in Romans 3, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the works of the law. In that verse we read a moment ago in Ephesians, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So faith is a gift. It's not meritorious. So where does our acceptance come from? Well, the positive answer, so it's not in us. The positive answer is, it's Christ. It's his satisfaction, his righteousness, and his holiness that is the basis of our being made right with God. He lived the sinless life. He pleased the Heavenly Father. He willingly took upon himself the burden of God's wrath against our sin. And he becomes our righteousness and holiness. Paul preaching, talking about the preaching of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1 says it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Uh, Paul said, I want a righteousness not of my own uh, which is of the law but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ a righteousness which is of God and is by faith. Uh, G.I. Williamson in trying to illustrate faith, uh, uses the illustration of an eye and how an eye sees and embraces certain things. And so he writes this, just as it is by a living eye, not a glass eye, that we can see that is received the light of a beautiful sunset, so it is by a genuine faith that we receive the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. There is no other way that we can receive the righteousness of Christ. We receive it only by relying on him completely. And the second part of that answer is to underscore what we've already talked about, and that is that we 
apply that righteousness of Christ to ourselves by faith alone. Uh, There's no other means for us to be made right with God. Uh, The Christian is radically different from the unbeliever in this particular way. The unbeliever looks at themselves. What is it that they can accomplish? What is it that they can do? What is it that they can deserve and earn? The Christian does not look at himself except to see his sin. The Christian looks away from himself to Christ alone. And faith is the eye, it's the hand that embraces and receives that gift of justification uh, from, from the Lord and receives that from him. Paul resolved not to do anything among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the dominant person in our lives as well. Well, the second thing we're confronted with is the the ineffectiveness and the inability of our own good works. The question is, why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? And it's going to say it can't be. Our works cannot be any part of our righteousness before God. But it gives two answers to that particular question. The first is that the works that God demands to be done have to be perfect. Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God demands perfect holiness of you and of me. And our works can't possibly measure up to that demand. Anything that we do, even the best things that we do and the best things that we can possibly do, can't measure up to that. Sometimes in our um, confession of sin portion of our worship, we'll, we'll read from Psalm 24. And the portion of that that we focus on particularly is, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or does not swear by what is false. And if you honestly answer that question, who is it that can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who is it that has clean hands and a pure heart? Who is it? No one. No human being has ever attained to that measure and level of holiness. Our works cannot meet God's demands, so they can't possibly be a part of our um, righteousness before God. Now, our non-Christian friends will say, well, nobody's perfect. And they would consider God very unfair uh, that he would judge anyone because, well, they're not perfect. But what they forget is that God created Adam and Eve perfect. And he endued them with the abilities and the, the uh, option to be obedient to God, and they chose to rebel. 
And it's not unfair of God to hold us all accountable for living up to how he created us. And our sin and our inability to do that just focuses us on our need. And if we were from this day forward, if you were today to begin to be perfect, if you could in some way from this moment on not sin again the rest of your life, of course, it's a wonderful thing. Wish it would be true. But if you could do that, you still would have all the stuff in the past that you'd have to get rid of. So you're still in a mess. And the thing that we don't appreciate is even if we had been able all our life from the moment of conception to the end of our days never to sin, we still wouldn't earn favor with God. Jesus says, so when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You've only done what God said to do. Favor from God comes in only one way, and that is because he, in his kindness, condescends to have favor on us. It's all of God. He's the one that takes the initiative. He's the one that accomplishes all that. So that even if you and I were somehow perfect, we couldn't take credit for anything. Because he made us. We only did what he told us to do. His favor comes because of his mercy and his kindness. The second part of the answer is that our works can't have anything to do with our righteousness before God because even the very best of our works, even the very best of our deeds, and you do good deeds. You all do many wonderful things. You're very kind to one another. You help one another. There's, there's the wonderful things that you do, but even your very best things that you do are contaminated by your sin. They're marred by that. Isaiah gives us that gripping statement. We are all as unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best things we can do still are contaminated by our sinfulness. We don't want to admit it. There's a gripping verse. It's in the King James Version, the way they translate it. It says in Proverbs 21, 4, A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Now that sounds really strange. Why in the world would the plowing of the wicked be sin? It's not because the plowing is sin. Plowing is a good thing. We need farmers to plow and to plant and to to grow crops for us to 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 have for in our diets. The pro, the, the point is even the good that he's doing is contaminated by his sin. It's marred by that. It's made dirty by that sin. So that even the good things can't possibly gain us favor with God. So our good works are not a help to us. But the next question, interestingly enough, talks about, well, 
does God reward our good works? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, the answer is the reward. this reward is not of a merit, but of grace. Faith is a living faith, and it's not a faith in isolation. It's, uh, we're going to jump to James in a few moments. It's, it's a faith that works. If it's a living faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a faith that will live out. It will bear fruit. You have faith and you will have fruit and you will be expressing that fruit because of gratitude to the Lord. And the working out of our faith is a necessary connection to a true and living faith. G.I. Williamson, to pick up his uh, use of the eye as an illustration, he, he writes this. Here again, it may help us to think of the, the seeing eye. In order to understand this, it is by the eye alone that we can see things. But there never was an eye that could see in isolation. If you ever see a human eye lying in a beaker in a laboratory, you can be sure that that eye sees nothing. The reason is that an eye functions only as a living part of a human body. So it is with faith. If you have faith all by itself, faith in isolation, then your faith is dead rather than living. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 2, and we'll read just a portion of this. James 2, verses 14 to 17. This passage was one that gave Luther uh, a lot of trouble. It's not that he didn't believe that a Christian should live an obedient life. He did. But he was so passionate about justification by faith alone, it, um, he wrestled difficultly with this particular passage. And we won't read it all, but look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will result in repentance, obedience, and the willingness to obey God's commandment. If we have faith, those will be some of the results. Our faith needs to be accompanied by works. Uh, Even as we read in Ephesians 2, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And God is pleased and he rewards our obedience, he rewards our actions of faith that we live out in our lives. And um, it's, a, it's a factor that we see even in his uh, judgment. Now, there are a lot of questions we have about the final judgment, but in the book of Matthew, there's a couple passages, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but I want to talk to you about that, where this idea of actions or deeds come in. We might ask the question, why is it that God would reward the actions, the 
obedience of his children and it's because he wants to. He takes pleasure in that. Just as a, just as, as a parent, you know, as, as a parent gives an assignment to their child and their child goes and does that assignment and the child's doing it with a good spirit and a good heart and when they're done, it's not very good. Certainly not what the parent, exactly what the parent would have done. But what does the parent do? They thank them. Thank you so much for doing this job. Thank you for helping mommy or helping daddy out in this job. Why are they doing that? Because they know the heart behind the person doing it. And so they delight in that. The father delights, even though we're not going away from the fact that our works can't merit us favor, the father delights in the obedience of his children. And we see this come out in Matthew 25, the story that the account is told, the, in the, when the Lord returns, the sheep and the goats will be gathered before him. And he'll speak to the sheep and he'll say to the sheep, um, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you cared for me. And they're going to ask, when was it? When, when, when were you uh, hungry and we gave you something to eat? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When was it that you were naked and we clothed you? When was it that we, you were sick and we cared for you? And his answer is going to be, whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. Now on that last day, the uh, the ungodly will be gathered before Christ as well. And when he's ready to pass judgment, they will say, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonders in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. What's the difference between the two groups? Well, the ungodly are keeping a record. And they're keeping a list of all the things they think they have done to earn the favor of God. And when they appear before God, they're going to read their list and God's going to say, I don't care about any of that. Depart from me. But the, the believer, when he gets before the Lord, does not have a list. Because the believer doesn't do anything to merit God's favor. The believer serves and is obedient because they love the Father. And they love the father's children. And so that's why when they get there, the one keeping the list is their savior, Christ. He's the one keeping the list. You don't need to keep the list. 
Don't keep the list. Don't even focus on a list. We, in our sinfulness, contended to create a list and think, well, look at all that I've done for you. Throw that thing away. Doesn't matter how much you've done for someone. Do they need more? You do more. You don't withhold anything. You extend your love and your kindness. The person who's keeping the list is your Savior. Let him keep the list. Let him be the one who will reward you, not because of merit, but because of love. And the last question is a very typical criticism of salvation by grace through faith. Doesn't justification by faith alone make us careless? And the answer is, God forbid. It can't possibly make us careless. It doesn't make us careless. Uh, Paul, this, this criticism of the faith has been around for a long, long time. Paul in Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound by, by, or it says by no means in NIV, but God forbid. We who died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Does God's grace, does justification by faith, does salvation by grace through faith make us negligent or and even profane? And the answer is, it's impossible for that to be true. If you haven't really experienced it, maybe it's, it's, maybe it's possible for you to pretend. But the reality is when you know that you have been set free from sin to serve Christ, it doesn't make you less obedient. It motivates you to be more obedient. Not because you're going to get anything from it, but out of such profound gratitude and love for your Savior. God did that for me. And you're amazed. How can I not serve and worship him? How can I not do that? He's been kind to me. How can I not be kind to others? How can I not? Doesn't make us careless it makes us profoundly strengthened and motivated uh, Paul says in another context what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace God forbid it's not possible we're motivated and powerfully to serve the Lord to love him and to love one another so these questions remind us of our justification by faith alone and the source of our righteousness being in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may you be encouraged that your Father loves to delight in you and your service. And he delights to pour out his favor upon you. And may that encourage you in the abundance of your gratitude and thankfulness uh, to serve your God and to trust in him and to rest in his grace. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for the abundance of your love and the richness of our being made right with you through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, the abundant ways you pour out your mercy and kindness to us. We ask, O oh Lord, your, for you to strengthen us in these truths, to uh, cause us to be knitted more closely to you, and that um, our lives would be transformed by the grace that you have given to us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.